Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful day. We're very grateful for you being here today. We hope and pray that the time that we are here together will benefit all of us. We're very grateful for the period of fellowship that we have, the opportunity to worship God, to lift up His name, and we're always grateful for that privilege. I do want to say thank you to those of you that are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful that you come our way from week to week. We're very thankful that you come and honor us with your presence. I know that uh, we've had some that have placed membership with us, and we always want to encourage any who are looking for a church home to please consider the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. We'd love to have you as a part of the work here. And there are lots of things that uh, you could do to help advance the cause in this community. I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, in our study together today. Daniel, chapter 3. In our lesson today, we're going to be talking about the theme, Tried by Fire. We are now living in what has been defined as a post-Christian nation. First time that I heard someone say that we are now living in a post-Christian nation, it really alarmed me. And I thought, surely that can't be the case. That we have gotten to the point where we no longer, as a nation, believe in the ideals of Christianity. I read just recently a statistic that was somewhat alarming about 33% of Americans attend religious services at least one time per week. Now think about that for a minute. Only 33% of the people living in this country now regularly meet for worship. What does that say to us? It says that the ideals upon which our country has been founded, those ideals are no longer embraced by many people living in this country. So it shouldn't surprise us to see the mayhem and the trouble that is not only brewing, but has been evident for quite some time. Things have changed dramatically in this country. And many of us wonder, what does the future hold? I mean, I never dreamed that I would be living in a country in which many, many people no longer believe in the God of the Bible. Statistically speaking, there are many people in our country today who have embraced pluralism. They believe in multiple gods, not just the God of the Bible. How did we get where we are today? What is looming in the future? When people dismiss the importance of God's Word in their lives, trouble is soon to follow. When people dismiss the concept of the one true living God, then again, trouble will soon follow. And so in Daniel chapter 3, we have an account of three Hebrew individuals. 
We know them by their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These young men, along with their friend Daniel, were deported by the Babylonian people to a foreign land. Their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They came to dwell in a foreign land among foreign people. It was a corrupt time in history. Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who reigned over Babylon for a little less than 50 years. He welded great power. It was under his reign that the children of Israel were deported into 70 years of captivity. God had foretold of their captivity. Jeremiah, for one, pleaded with God's people to come back, and they refused to listen. And so they ended up in captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, enjoyed great success in many respects in Babylon. You recall in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He didn't understand the import of the dream. And so Daniel was called upon to interpret that dream, and he did so. As a result of the interpretation of that dream, Nebuchadnezzar promoted him. And the Bible says in verse 48 of chapter 2, gave him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel, because of his position, petitioned King Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result of that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they too enjoyed a prominent position in the land of Babylon. And so in chapter 3, we are introduced to a very interesting situation. A situation that called upon these three Hebrew individuals to take a stand for their faith. Now last Sunday night in our lesson, we were looking at Acts chapters 3 and 4 and the importance of demonstrating boldness in our faith. In the next couple of weeks, I want us to look at Daniel chapter 6 and think about the pressure exerted upon Daniel himself. And we want to look at that in some detail. But for the purpose of our study today, we want to really zero in on chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, as you remember, had been told, after having a dream and seeing this great vision, Daniel had told him that you are the head of gold representing the Babylonian empire. So in chapter 3, we find Daniel or rather we find Nebuchadnezzar building an image of gold. The Bible tells us this image was some 90 feet in height, 9 feet wide. He did so in the plain of Dura. Now some would say geographically speaking, this was about 12 miles south-southeast of Babylon. But it was in that vicinity. And so... Nebuchadnezzar erects this great image. And what he wants people to do in the land of Babylon 
is that the sound of certain musical instruments, he wanted the land as a whole to bow in homage to this great image that he had erected. And so now these Hebrew individuals, they've got to make a choice. They've got to decide. Are we going to remain true in our allegiance to the God of heaven? Or shall we as others in the land, shall we bow in homage? And really I think we have to ask the same question. Are we going to bow to the pressures of a society that has become in many respects humanistic and hedonistic? Or will we stand strong in our faith for God? Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 6 of chapter 3, Whoever does not fall down and worship this great golden image, will be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So it was either bow or burn. So it's here that we are introduced to these Hebrew individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there are some things that stand out about their lives, and I think really when we look at the life of a Christian today, the principles by which they live their lives, are principles worthy of our emulation today. I want to to begin our study by, first of all, calling attention to the fact that these Hebrew men, and they had been young men when deported to Babylon. Some would say that Daniel was somewhere around the age of 17, just teenagers. And so here they are called upon to decide, okay, Are we going to acknowledge this golden image or will we stand true when it comes to our relationship to God? So first and foremost, these Hebrew men, they were different. They were vastly different from the people about them. Now I understand that many of the Jewish people had been deported to Babylon. But there were many, many people that were polytheistic in their thinking. Nebuchadnezzar obviously believed in a multiplicity of gods. As a matter of fact, back in verse 47 of chapter 2, after Daniel had interpreted that dream, he said, truly, your God is the God of gods. The Lord of kings. In other words, He's the God over many gods. And so these guys were different. Well, what was it that made them so different from others about them. I think one of the things that made them different was who they were. In other words, they were different because of their relationship to God, weren't they? They were different because of their respect or reverence for God. You see, God had entered many centuries earlier into a covenant relationship with His people. He had delivered them out of the furnace of Egyptian bondage, brought them out with a strong arm, bore them, as He said to Moses, on eagle's wings, and brought them unto Himself. 
And he told them that if they would obey his voice and keep his covenant, they would be his special treasure above all peoples on the earth. These guys were different. And when I think about those of us who are Christians today, I'm reminded of the fact that we are different. We are supposed to be different, aren't we? Didn't Peter say you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? The church is God's holy nation of people. If you were to go back and look at the people who lived in Babylon, you've got God's chosen people, His holy people in a foreign land, surrounded by pagan people, unholy people, much like the world today. So they had to remember in a foreign land, number one, they had to remember who they were. They belonged to God. Not only did they need to remember who they were, but they needed to remember whose they were. Is it not the case that those of us who belong to the family of God today, that we need to remember, sometimes we need to step back and think, you know what? Just because the world is walking in one direction doesn't mean that I've got to bow to the cadence of the world, does it? Doesn't mean that I've got to conform to the pressures of the world to think like the world, to act like the world, to dress like the world, to live like the world. Paul said, be not conformed unto the world. In other words, don't let the world pour you into its mold, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So these guys were different. And it was evident they were different when everybody else is bowing down and they refuse to bow. Do people know that you're different? Do they know you're different because of who you are and because of whose you are? Didn't God lay claim to us as His people? Didn't the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you, ha which you have from God? He said, You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, in light of that great fact, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, listen to Him, which are God's. So God owns us. We belong to Him, just like the Hebrew use, the Hebrew men belong to God in the long ago. So first and foremost, these guys, they were different. But there's a second thing that I think stands out in looking at this text. Not only were they different, but these Hebrew men were dedicated. I mean, these guys were dedicated. We talk about the dedication that we're, that we're to have as children of God. Do we understand how dedicated we are to be? Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? In other words, don't let anything come before you and the King don't let anything come before you and the kingdom. So what about their dedication? Well, if you look at our text, in verse 7, the Bible tells us all the people, nations, and languages, when they heard the sound of all these great instruments, they fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
But then look at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then listen to verse 12. The Bible says, There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys? These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Why not? Why do you think these men, I mean, they're different, yes. Why do you think they refused to recant their faith? I think there are probably several reasons, but number one, these men were men of great courage, weren't they? You know, in living in a post-Christian nation, it's going to take a lot of courage to live day in and day out, isn't it? I mean, you think about how our faith and the ideals upon which we have built our lives are constantly under attack. Think about the eroding moral principles of our nation. The guiding light that once shone so brightly in our nation is now but a dim reflection. You know, Solomon wrote many years ago, where there is no vision, the people perish. And what he was saying is, where there is no revelation, the people perish. The bottom line is, when you separate people from a divine code of conduct, a standard if you please, then guess what? It will lead to destruction and mayhem. That's what's going on today. It's evident. And so, these guys had courage. They were fearless in the face of fire. Not only were they fearless, but they were faithful. I mean, think about that for a minute. Word gets back to the king. These guys haven't paid you due regard. They haven't bowed down to worship this golden image that you've erected. I mean, these are the guys that you set over the province. And do you know how? Do you know what they're doing? The contempt that they have for you, for your law, for your greatness, your excellency. And so... Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. Now imagine, try to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine living in a foreign land among foreign people. You've been separated from family, from friends from the very culture that you have grown up in, the ideals 
upon which you built your life, those ideals, completely different. The culture's different. The thinking is different. And now you're being brought before the ruler of the nation. And he wants to know, is it true? You mean to tell me that you have openly defied my edict? Look at verse 14. Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? If you're ready at the sound of all of these musical instruments and you'll fall down and worship the image which I've made, listen to what he says, good. But if you do not, wor if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Let me just pause there for a minute. Gratefully, we live in a country that enjoys religious freedom. But I'm here to tell you things are changing quickly in the climate in which we live. And don't tell me that there aren't people in high places today who do not honor the God of the Bible. They believe in the teaching of Islam, don't they? And if they were to get into power, to whom do you think they would want the people to give allegiance to? Imagine living in a Muslim country, and you're a Christian, and they tell you, you can either acknowledge Muhammad, or we'll cut your head off. What would you do? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with the decision. You guys are going to die. If you don't bow down and worship this image, let me tell you what, death is coming. And then listen to the taunt. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? As if Nebuchadnezzar was some great, mighty God Himself. Do you really think your God can save you from this fire? Not only were these guys courageous, but they were men of great conviction. At some point in time, your faith is going to be tested. Maybe sooner than you think. You know, Paul said, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did the early church know something about persecution? Yes, they did. Is it possible that in America we too could come under great persecution? We, uh, we already experience in many forms verbal taunts, don't we? Are there not people in our country today that have a hatred for Christianity? Yes. Do you remember on the limited commission in Matthew chapter 10? Jesus talked about how they would be hated. They would be scourged. They would be persecuted. And yet three times Jesus said, do not fear them. And so listen to the courage of these men. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But now look at verse 18. I love verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O King. Listen to what he says. That we do not serve your gods, 
nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now you tell me, did they not draw a line in the sand and say, let me tell you what, I don't care who you think you are. I don't care how powerful you think you are. We are not going to bow down and recant our faith. We're not going to bow. We're not going to bend. Why? Because we belong to God. And you know what? If God wants to deliver us, so be it. If not, that's fine. We'll go to be with Him. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, to not fear those who have the ability to destroy the body, but afterward cannot kill the soul? But He said, let me tell you who you need to fear. Fear Him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell and Gehenna. These guys wouldn't, they wouldn't bow. And they wouldn't bend. And I'm telling you what, we live in a culture today that is saying on a daily basis, you need to bow and bend to the philosophies and the ideologies that are so prevalent in the world today. So what are you going to do? Are you going to bow? Are you going to bend to the idols of materialism and money and power and fame? Are you going to embrace this hedonistic spirit that has captivated people in America? Are you going to identify with humanism that says, you know what, you're a god? The exaltation of self? But then if you would, note in the third place, these Hebrew men were delivered. And to me, this is the most important part. Well, maybe not the most important part, but it's an important part of the story. Because ultimately, when it's all said and done, God was with His people then. He'll be with us today. In verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar, the text says he's full of fury. He's angry. I can just imagine the fury of that powerful king. And so, the text says the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He tells the guys, you get this incinerator as hot as you possibly can. And then note if you would, he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now note, if you would, what is said. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, And the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And to the utter amazement of Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says he was astonished. He rose in haste and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They said to the king, True, O king. And then listen to what he says. I see four men loose. You know, they'd been thrown into the fire bound, but now they're loose. Walking in the midst of the fire, 
the men that had thrown them into the fire, they were consumed. But he said, they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I think it could be the case that that was the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of Jehovah. But nonetheless, who was present with them in that furnace? The Lord was, wasn't He? Isn't there a lesson today for us who belong to the family of God under pressure to bow, to bend to the ideals of the world, to recognize that there is a God in heaven who will stand with us and who will stand beside us, come what may? Is that not encouraging? Did the Hebrew writer not say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? That was the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you think about the fact that God, that God was present with them. The Lord was present with them during this terrible ordeal. I can't help but think about Paul as he stood Facing death in the eyes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he recognized it was imminent. And possibly in light of some preliminary charges, maybe they had called for some witnesses on his account, out of fear of persecution, Paul said, at my first defense, no man stood with me, all men forsook me. He said, I pray God, it won't be laid to their charge. But he said, the Lord stood with me. Not only did he say the Lord stood with him, but he said the Lord strengthened me. That same Lord will stand with us and he too will strengthen us, will he not? There's a second thing. Not only was the Lord present with them in the fire, but he preserved them in the fire. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And the Bible says they came from the midst of the fire. Who was it that supported them and sustained them during this very difficult time in life? Who was it? It's the Lord, wasn't it? So when we face pressures to bend and to bow, to recant our faith, to make concessions, to compromise, when we are under the gun, so to speak, who's going to support us? Who's going to sustain us? Who's going to carry us through the day? Didn't David say, cast your burden on the Lord? What will it do? He will sustain you. Look, these guys, they were, they were young men of great faith. And today, we need that same faith. I'd encourage you to read the rest of the story when you get home today. King Nebuchadnezzar was, he was amazed, impressed, if you please. The world isn't impressed by Christianity, maybe like it once was. But the call remains the same for us. That is, we've got to stand true. We've got to be bold. We've got to stand firm in a pagan world. And sometimes that's easier said than done. 
If you're here today, and let's just say your faith has been under attack, maybe at school, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe among family members, it might be where you work. There are individuals that are pressuring you to conform, to bow, to bend to your belief or your belief system. And maybe you need prayers on behalf of other Christians so that you'll be strong, that you'll be faithful to God come what may. might be that you're here and you've compromised your faith and you want God to forgive you so that you can be bold, that you can be what you ought to be in the face of pressure. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to become a child of God, and you understand God's ways are the best ways, and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you'd be willing to repent of your sins and confess His name before others, and be buried with Him in a watery grave of baptism to rise to walk in newness of life, to know that all your sins can be forgiven, Acts 2.48, or rather Acts 2.38, to know that God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47, and that if you're faithful till death, you will one day wear that crown of life that Jesus talked about in Revelation 2.10. Won't you come today as we stand and sing?